Lindsay and I have this vacuum that has not worked well for years, for years. And uh, I cannot tell you how much frustration this vacuum has caused. How many YouTube videos we have watched trying to figure out how to fix this vacuum. How many times I've taken apart pieces of this vacuum, washed pieces of the vacuum, put it back together, and it'll work for a few seconds and it will stop. I even bought Lindsay a new vacuum because this vacuum was so terrible. I didn't buy it for her for Valentine's Day or anything like that, but I bought her a new vacuum because this vacuum has been endlessly frustrating. But for some reason we kept it. And uh, last night, Lindsay decided, I don't know why, to look inside the handle. And the, the tube kind of runs up through the handle. So it runs through there into the main compartment. You know what she found in the handle of the vacuum cleaner? A Lincoln log. <laughs> a Lincoln log. And around that Lincoln log, some Legos. And then a bunch of fuzz. And it had totally sealed up the vacuum, that's why it wasn't working all this time. A Lincoln log. Now, I don't do a lot of vacuuming. You might say I dabble in vacuuming. Lindsay does the most of it. And um, I know I never vacuumed up a Lincoln log. And she promises me she never vacuumed up a Lincoln log. That leaves only our three boys. Now, do I think they ever just thought to themselves, like, man, we should do some vacuuming? <laughs> no, that would be helpful. So that's never happened. Do I think it's possible that they wondered, could a vacuum suck up a Lincoln log? That I think is possible. It, it may have taken place. I cannot tell you how frustrating it has been to deal with this vacuum and to feel like this thing does not work for us. And I kind of want you to think about that this morning, that, that sensation. When you realize this doesn't work. And thinking more broadly, I don't think the Lord's that invested in my vacuum cleaner, but thinking more broadly, is it desirable for the Lord? For you and I to have that experience where we realize what doesn't work. I want you to think about that. I told you last week, we're doing two weeks on chapter 19. And Acts chapter 19 is six stories. We're going to throw... One word for each of those stories up on the screen here behind me. And last week we did the first three of those stories. This week we're going to do the second three. So, so quick recap. Acts chapter 19 verses 1 to 7 is about a baptism. Paul comes across some guys who have not been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he baptizes them. Starting in verse 8, and for a few verses after verse 8, Paul begins to preach. And so what we have in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, and the verses following is the sermons of Paul and their power. And then starting in verse 11, you have this very strange, odd story. It's just two verses about a handkerchief and some great miracles that God accomplishes through a handkerchief. All right, and then this week we're going to turn our attention to the next three stories that start in verse 13 about a fight, a fire, and a riot, okay? But let me set these up and remind you, just a little bit of recap of last week, that Jesus, as he is leaving this earth, he gives a gospel promise to you and I who believe in him. And this is what he says to us. He says, you will receive 
power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And last week we talked about that feeling of powerlessness, that I don't have what I need. And the message of the gospel, as we read from 2 Peter 1 last week, is that his divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need. In him, I have everything I need. All right, so again, we got six stories here. The first story about the baptism. Let me point out how this is playing out. This power dynamic is playing out in those first three stories. The baptism. Paul sees some guys who've been baptized into the baptism of John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, but not baptized specifically into the name of the Lord Jesus. That means under the master. That's what it means. They haven't submitted their lives under the power of the master. As soon as they do that, suddenly that power lives with them and begins to work through them in really powerful ways. All right, and then Paul begins to preach his sermons. And Paul, like we talked about last week, wasn't a good preacher. But the power of God that is above him is with him and works through him so that his preaching is bold and persuasive. Bold and persuasive preaching. Okay? And then we have this handkerchief. Paul wipes his face with a handkerchief drops it on the ground or puts it in his pocket. And somebody says, let me just hold that for you, which is so gross. But they they then take the handkerchief, run to their mother or to their child or to their friend who is sick or possessed by demons. And they place the handkerchief Paul touched on them and the demons flee and the sicknesses flee. And we're told really importantly that God did these miracles through Paul. So this is the power of God. The power over Paul is with him and working through him. Okay, that brings us to today's stories. We're going to start in verse 13, and I'm going to have to do some summarizing so we can make it through all of it. But the handkerchief story, which is really weird, I think only makes sense when compared to the story it immediately precedes, starting in verse 13. So here's how the story goes. You got a guy who is possessed by a demon. It's making him crazy. And so seven exorcists are called, guys who cast demons out of people. And they come to this demon, and this demon apparently is just not responding to anything they're trying. So they say this in verse 13. Look at this with me. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, when you first look at this, it's like, oh, they're doing the right thing. They're calling on the name of Jesus. Right? They're, they're appealing to the right person, but it's really important when you compare this story to the baptism story that it's not in the name of our Lord Jesus come out. It's in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, so really importantly, they have not placed themselves under the power of this master. And so what happens here is that his power is not with them and it's not working through them. This would be like, let's say you go to the doctor. And you can have two experiences at the doctor. One experience would be that the doctor says, oh, this is what's wrong with you. And this is the medicine that will fix it. I know it. You just take this medicine, you'll be all better. 
versus you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm not really sure what you've got. So given these symptoms, there's about 30 different medicines we could try. And let's just work our way through them. Let's just, let's just start working our way through them. And like, I recognize sometimes that's important in medicine and that's where the metaphor breaks down. But here's a group of guys, doctors of their time. And they've got this little booklet that has all these remedies and cures. And they have heard Paul say Jesus and they've seen demons flee. And so they just wrote down, apparently, if you say Jesus, demons will flee. It's just one of the, one of the remedies. And so they just kind of get to the point and working with this demon where it's like, well, let's try, let's try that, I guess. Jesus? Ah, it didn't work. Okay, why? Because he's not their Lord. So they haven't placed their lives under his power. And because of that, that power is not working through them. That power is not with them. So look what happens next. This could be a scene from a, a scary movie. The demon looks at the seven guys and says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? And then he beats them up. <laughs> Actually beats them up and strips them naked and they run out naked and ashamed. Okay, and so literally it says he overpowered them all. Remember this whole chapter, Acts chapter 19, is about power. Literally, he overpowered them all, the demon did. Um, the other night, we were, in, we were putting Noble down for bed. I was putting Noble down. It was about 8.30, my oldest son. It's dark outside, and he looks at me, and he says, Dad, do demons still possess people? Which is not the question you want your nine-year-old asking at 8.30 p.m. He looked at me and said, Dad, do demons still possess people? And I said, I don't know, bud, sleep tight. And I closed the door and I went, so I'm not dealing with that. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> We're going to call Child Protective Services on this guy. All right. We could have a great conversation about whether demons um, are still alive and active. I, I believe they are. Ephesians 6 tells us that's our real enemy. It's not flesh and blood, but the powers that we can't see. But I told Noble, and this is what's really important, and this is a little, to get a little sidetracked, I said, no, 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 buddy, like, you've been baptized. And so because of that, look with me here at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at this, and I showed Noble this. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Pay attention to this. He set his seal of ownership on us. In other words, he's closed us up. We're sealed and closed. Nothing gets in. And then look at this. And he put his spirit in our hearts. Other places, Paul says, we're filled with the spirit. In other words, this jar of clay is so filled to the top with the spirit that nothing else gets in. Okay. And so I told him, buddy, you're closed up and you're full. All right, you don't have to worry about that. Sleep tight. And don't come downstairs because I want to sleep tight too. All right. All right but here's, here's the point. What's going on? When you compare this story of the demon that overpowers these seven guys, it really only makes sense when compared to the story that precedes it, where all it takes for Jesus or for God the Father to overpower demons is a handkerchief. 
So the powers that all the Ephesians are trusting in, seven guys can't overpower one guy with a demon. And for Jesus, all it takes is a handkerchief his guy touched. That's all it takes. Okay, so people see that. And what's happening here and really in the whole chapter is a comparison between real power, the power of Jesus Christ, and idol power. Remember, Ephesus was the center of this idol worship of the god Artemis. Out of that idol worship flowed um, promises of sorcery, buying magical potions and magical powers. There's a whole industry built around this. And to say, to, to use the word idol power is not necessarily to say fake power as though other things have no power, but to say their power pales in comparison to the real power of Jesus Christ. And that's what's being exposed here. And apparently people saw it because the next story is the story of the fire. Okay, I'm going to bring you there. And that starts, where is it? Start in verse 20, I think, 17. Starts in verse 17. Okay. Apparently people see that compared to the power of Jesus, this other stuff we're trusting in, worshiping, giving our hearts to, does not compare. It doesn't. It's powerless by comparison. And so what they do is start a fire. And the fuel for the fire are all the books of magical potions and magical spells that they have bought at the temple to Artemis to gain power over the things in their life they can't control. And we're told it would be the equivalent of millions of dollars worth of books are brought and heaped up into a pile and burned. So when you hear book burning, you probably think that's a bad thing, right, in, in our modern age. You've maybe read Fahrenheit 451. You remember this book? Yeah, I had to read it in English class. And it's about when the government doesn't like ideas that you're trusting in, that those ideas are rounded up and they're burned and burned in a, in a book burning. Guy Montag is a fireman who, who burns books. That's his job. Okay. And this scene kind of feels like that, but it's really important to point out they're not just burning ideas. What they're burning are idols. They're burning the things that they have trusted in, that they've given their heart to, that they have worshipped. They're heaping all those things up on a pile and burning them. And look at verse 20. Look at how that scene ends. As all these people come and burn millions of dollars of books or idols, look at this. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Okay, I love this. What's basically happening is as idol power, all the things the people of Ephesus trust in, worship, give their heart to, as that idol power is diminished, as fewer people trust in that, and as more people turn to Jesus and trust in him, that real power of Jesus Christ actually grows and is magnified in that city. So as fewer people give themselves the idol power, the power of Jesus Christ grows and is magnified. You see that inverse relationship? As this decreases and diminishes, this, the power of Jesus, grows and more people see it, believe it, and trust in it alone. So do you think that the Lord desires we would see what doesn't deserve our trust, 
what isn't powerful and turn from it to him. Yeah, absolutely. Because this magnifying effect when we abandon what is not powerful and turn to him, it's magnified. So what I, wanna, I guess what I want you to see is that it's not just that Jesus wants you to know you have everything you need in him, that you have all the power you will ever need when you are filled by his spirit. It's not just that he wants you to know you have that power. He also wants you to know and be able to see what does not work, what power you should not trust compared to the power that he offers you. There's this great scene in 1 Samuel 5 where the Philistines have stolen the Ark of the Covenant and they run that Ark of the Covenant back to their temple to the god Dagon. And they bring the Ark into the temple and there in the temple is a statue of their god Dagon. And they leave the Ark there. They put it right next to the god Dagon and they're like, we really like this. And they go home for the night to sleep and they come back and the 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 god Dagon, his statue has fallen over. And they're like, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Did you? No, it wasn't me. Weird. Must have been a strong breeze last night. And so they, they pick that statue back up of the god Dagon. They go home again to sleep. And then they come back the next day. And this time the statue has fallen over and it's shattered to pieces. And the Philistines say this. They say, the ark of the god of Israel must not stay here with us. Because his hand is heavy on us, and look at this, and on Dagon, our God. You know, the point is that the real power of God seeks to expose and undermine every other power. Until they are no more, that you would not trust in them and that you would trust only in him. That's his desire. Jump back with me a couple chapters, Acts chapter 17. Paul comes into Athens and we're told this. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. And what's striking to me is that Paul is able to see what nobody else in Athens sees. These things we're all worshiping are idols. They don't have the power of Jesus. And so they don't deserve my worship or yours. And it distresses him to see this. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question. Let's bring this thing home. Can you see like Paul? Are you able to see the things we worship that we shouldn't? The things we trust, that we believe have power that don't, can you see those things? And it's, it's pretty easy to see them in other people. Um, I, joked, I joked with some friends recently about preaching in the South, particularly in SEC country. That, um, you know, there are some times in a preacher's life where some global calamity will happen or some terrible event will happen in Memphis, or some terrible thing will happen in the life of the church. And what you had planned to preach that Sunday, you can't preach anymore. You gotta talk specifically about that. You gotta change your plans and address that because that's the right pastoral thing to do. Well, preaching in the South, in SCC country, in the fall, every single weekend, somebody at my church has had a global calamity. <laughs> Their team has lost. 
and their life is over. And they want to come and just be built back up. It's okay, buddy. There's next year. There's next year, you know? Like, it feels like that every time. We kind of joke about that. But just think about how your affections follow the success of your team. Let me step on some other toes. What about politics? Think about how much trust we give to the power of politicians to make our world right. I mean, how many of you, your spouse has commented on how your mood changes based on the newscast you watched in the morning and what you saw there? Man, it's, it's not just the Ephesians that have idols, right? Like we, we do too. We trust and worship all kinds of things that don't have the power of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, it's easy to see it in other people. It's harder to see it in yourself. I told this story to Lindsay yesterday, and she, she likes it when I um, bring myself down a couple pegs before the body of Christ, so she insists I tell this to you all. I went uh, on a bike ride, a group bike ride Friday. Y'all know I love riding my bike. I think about riding my bike all the time. I, I practice riding my bike, try to get stronger at riding my bike, and I went on this group bike ride this weekend hosted by a bike shop here in town. And the bike shop owner, he's, he's really strong and fast, and he's up at the front of the group, and I'm giving it everything I have to be up there at the front. At one point, we come to this kind of stopping point. We're gathering ourselves, drinking from a water bottle, and y'all, he looked at me. I don't want to tear up here. He looked at me. He said, Eric, why don't, why don't you take the lead? He said, man, you're fast. And my heart. <laughs> I came home and I told Lindsay, I said, babe, the bike shop guy said I was fast. And she, she took my hands in hers and we just cried for a while. We just... <laughs> I admit, I think about bikes way too much. You know, it, it's so easy to see that in other people, but we all do it. We trust and we give our hope and we place our faith in things that are ultimately idle power. And the desire of the Lord is not just to remind us, I'm giving you everything you need, but hey, you don't, you don't need that. You don't need that. That doesn't work. It doesn't give you what I give you. Which brings me to the last story. The last story is about a riot. And this is about the fascinating thing that happens when you try to quit idle powers. This weekend, I unsubscribed from one of our streaming services. We just have too many. And so I went to unsubscribe, and it was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. But are you really sure? And then I was like, yeah, I'm really sure. And then it's like, what if we give you three months free? Are you still sure? Okay, that's what's happening here when we have this riot is that Demetrius, the guy who kind of leads the market of idle power, recognizes that all these people who are burning all these books, well, those were books we sold them. And if they're burning all these things, that probably means they're not going to come back and buy another. And so our industry is in trouble. Look at what he says. He says, and the goddess Artemis, sorry, the god Artemis is going to be robbed of her divine majesty, he says. 
And then he starts talking about Paul. He's trying to get everybody worked up. And he says, can you believe what Paul has been saying? Look at this. He says this. He says, he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Look at that sentence. How crazy is that sentence? And the thing is, nobody realizes it's crazy. A few verses later, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people didn't even know why they were there. Years from now, my kids are going to ask me, Papa, what was social media? And I'm going to read them Acts chapter 19, 32. <laughs> Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. You know, that's the thing about being under the power of idle power is you don't even see how foolish it is. You don't even see it, right? And of course, there are markets and industries and people deeply invested in us continuing to believe and trust in those things that do not deserve it, don't deserve it. So what do you think the desire of the Father is? What do you think the desire of our Lord is? It's not just to remind you, hey, in me, you have everything I need, but hey, look over there. You don't need that. You don't need it. Acts chapter 19 has got these six stories. You saw them earlier. Baptism, sermon, handkerchief, fight, fire, riot. And all these stories are trying to remind us of this gospel promise that with the right power over me, the power of Jesus Christ, when I submit myself to him and place my, my life under the power of the Lord, that same power is with me and it works through me. And in him, I will then have everything I need. But the gospel doesn't stop there. And the gospel goes on to say that real power, it is so much better than every other idol power out there. So don't love them. Don't trust in them. Don't worship them. Just me. Just me. Let me pray over you. God, would you fill us with your power, the power that comes through your spirit, and help us to see clearly what is powerless in our lives. May we turn from those things and turn to your son, Jesus. And I pray in his mighty name. Amen.